Off to the races, here we go. I'm already recording. Great. Uh-huh. Welcome to another episode of The Artistic Director. I'm sitting here with Stacy Halal. Right, did I, got, I got your name right? Yes. That's cool. Okay, good. Sorry. I, I always mean to ask my guests how to pronounce their last name because I've mispronounced it a couple times. Anyways, Stacy, how are you doing? I'm doing all right. Okay, excellent. So yeah. for the listener that's not familiar with you, can you give a brief history of yourself in the improv slash theatrical world that led you to being the Artistic Director of Curious Comedy Theater? Uh, wow. Okay. Uh, in brief. <laughs> uh, I've been doing improv for almost 20 years. I started here in Portland, Oregon, and then I moved to Chicago, studied at all the theaters in Chicago, um, at Second City, Annoyance, IO, and Comedy Sports. Uh, and then I did the I did the conservatory. I did the writing program, the music program, the uh, directing program, all at Second City. And then I assistant directed a touring company and a main stage show cool. there. So it felt like I did undergrad, and no. then the directing program was kind of <laughs> grad school. And then getting to assistant direct uh, Torco and that main stage was like my internship. Mm-hmm. And then I was told that Second City would never hire a woman to direct their main stage. Whoa. And, yeah, they told us all. Like, it was a very matter-of-fact conversation. And then, you know, Wait, like, this, from Second City? Uh-huh. Yeah. This was, like, ten years ago. What? And they still haven't. And so that was the conversation where I was like, oh, I'll just prove That's... them wrong. I know. And I haven't really talked about it a whole wow. bunch. I've just started. Because I love Second City and I learned so yeah. much and I, there's a lot I love about I wish I could place yeah. a facial expression yeah. on the podcast. <laughs> That's like... Yeah. And they... Wow. Uh, that was... Wow. Just a matter of fact thing. And they're like, every cast needs an alpha male and an alpha male will never listen to a woman director. And they had had a very specific, terrible experience in the past that sort of that set that. But the fact is, you hire the right alpha male or a beta male who knows how to act like an alpha male, or you just back up your authority, whether it's male or female, people should listen to the director or they get fired. That's how you change that. One would hope. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, so, uh, but I was still, even when, you know, at that time, it wasn't that r- outrageous of a yeah. thing to hear or to yeah. be said. And Even 10 years ago. Wow, yeah, that's, yeah. yeah. That's, um, that's and, like, and like the Midwest is a little bit, um, it takes a little bit longer to, mm-hmm. to follow in social progressive uh, movements and so yeah it was just kind of that's just the way it was and I was like I'm just gonna work hard and prove that that's not the case uh, and then there were two women in the directing program and the producers didn't come to either of the women's final projects and I started mine as soon as the program started I had started mine really early and worked six months on my final project and started um, early because I wanted to put the same number of hours in as there would be in an actual Second City process. And Second City has seven, eight shows a week with improv sets. So I wanted to make sure we had plenty of time to test our material similarly. And I sold out all my shows and and they didn't come. So had they even just come, it could have been like, I'm just not good enough. I got to get better. But if they don't even come, then I'm not even in the game. Yeah, so, if they're not there for you, then why should you be there for them? Yeah, yeah. And, I, and I spoke up about it and I was told not to speak up about it. 
And so I left and moved back to Portland. And it was something I had always considered, but I would be like, oh, I've you know, already been there, done that, and it's far from my family. But at that point, I was just like, well, I got to build my own playground if I want to play in it. So I moved back here and within six months found the space. And for 10 years, I'd been peeking in windows and mm-hmm. trying to find the ideal space. And in Oregon, it's really hard because of earthquake safety precautions you need to have buildings you can't find an old crappy building just throw a theater in it and throw some paint and a new floor you actually have to put seismic upgrades to make sure it's safe in an earthquake so you're either looking at an expensive new space or an old space that you have to um retrofit which is expensive yeah so you end up the differential in that money yeah so anyway so i moved back and found this space which is um a special it was a special deal that I happened upon because it was 2008 and the bubble was bursting uh-huh. and hmm. so someone who was supposed to move in here for a fine dining establishment got scared by the economy shifting and backed out and I happened to call on the same day and this wow. is a whole city project uh, for revitalizing this neighborhood and I got in on it and opened the space and now we have Curious Comedy Theater. That is delightful. Yeah. Um, so I like starting out uh, with my first question is the same for all of my guests. It's a big ambiguous question. So feel free to answer it in any way, shape, or form you wish. Uh, but the question is simply, what is your artistic direction? Well, I love a show to be dynamic. Okay. So I want, and I, and I, and I, as a, so as a director of shows, I look for dynamics. I like people to play the full range of their emotions. Uh, I like there to be truth and comedy, and I like there to be silly, fun, fast-paced moments, and I like there to be slower, more honest, patient moments. Um, and I feel like a, a real journey um, requires both of those things and then I I believe that what we're doing when we're improvising is creating tension between ourselves and the audience and uh, and then we're taking them or we're creating tension and then we take them with us on the journey of releasing and building tension yeah. it's comedy yeah. <laughs> yeah and it may be comedy it may be an awe mm-hmm. moment or it might be tears or it might be because I think if we're only seeking out uh, comedy, then we we're leaving a lot of blind spots. Yeah. I think we're looking for insightful moments. I think we're looking for challenging moments. I think we're looking for uh, hilarious moments. And if you have a sweet, tender moment, a lot of times a laugh that follows it and a comedic moment is going to be bigger. Yeah. Or if you have an intense, dramatic moment, the comedy that comes after will be bigger because the audience is so ready to release the tension that you built through those other moments. So, and a lot of that is what I've learned at you know, Second City. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've learned a lot from Bob Dassey, Rich Telrico, Craig Kukowski, and Stephanie Weir mm-hmm. have quartet and trio and weird ass and Dazariski are all different combinations of those four. And they came here recently for the Portland, uh, for the Stumptown Improv Festival here in Portland. And They've been the largest influence on me, despite all of the time and money I spent on all those training centers. <laughs> like those four have been my ideal forever. So, yeah, I like to look for dynamics. I like to uh, 
push people to to act the full range of their emotions on stage. So, uh, what, what did you pull from Second City? Like, what what did you learn that you took? What insights did you gain that you took to Portland in order to like make curious comedy be what it is today? Well, another thing that this is why saying what is my artistic artistic direction is such a tough question because yeah. it depends on you know you're talking about class, you're talking yeah. about school, you're talking about attitude off stage, on stage. Yeah. So. I look at my entire experience in Chicago, uh, as I mentioned, as being sort of like an undergrad education in comedy because I feel like each school was like its own course Mm -hmm. uh, and sequence of courses. So the way I always explain it is uh, I think that I.O. is about playing, uh, supporting your scene partner first, Mm -hmm. putting them first, Uh, annoyance about taking care of yourself first. And comedy sports is about taking care of the audience first. Okay. And then Second City is about using improvisation to write. Yeah. And so it's about shape of show, running order, the evolution of... It's about writing, yeah. you know, yeah, right? And crafting and is. refining and honing like a machine. Mm-hmm. So I think whether you... If you only exclusively did comedy sports I.O. or Annoyance... I think you get to the point where you eventually learn that it, it's every moment you're on stage improvising, you're doing all three of those things. Yeah. You okay. need to be oh, taking care of yourself, your scene partner, and the audience. Yeah. You have to be accomplishing all of those things simultaneously. Yeah. Um, so it doesn't matter which leg of the tripod you're getting into improvising from as you evolve and mature you'll eventually learn that you have to do all of those things yeah you must or else the tripod's wobbly yeah exactly (laughs) and if you only if you only do short form you can develop some bad habits of Mm -hmm. not fully connecting with your scene partner and just pulling that focus from the audience and for yourself or if you only do um uh, take care of your scene partner first you end up with scenes where two people walk out and just stare at each other and nobody's doing anything <laughs> right if you only take care of yourself first you end up with scenes where one person's a cowboy and one person's an astronaut and they're in two separate worlds yeah. and nobody else they're having a great time but nobody else is so you need to do all three of those things um to engage an audience yeah. and then yeah second city for me is about I think when I talk about dynamics and that it's a uh, very influenced by the second city writing order and thinking in terms of how do you shape a show you need different types of sketches you need um, different speeds and of sketches different lengths of sketches different emotional points of yeah. view and different sketches so um, that's helped me a lot. I think of Second City probably the most when I'm thinking about shape of show. Yeah, shape of show, and then you get all the you, finding that balance between everything is, is very important. And then it kind of there, there's an interesting idea that I've been just like tumbling around in my head as I do these interviews, which is uh, the idea of cultivating a culture where I think if you're the artistic director, you are inherently you're creating an ecology. I will quote one of the past uh, guests that I had, and I really like that idea of you are essentially the 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 beginning point of what eventually will become this cast and like how they treat each other and how they act on say on and off stage 
Um, and so I'm, I'm wondering, how do you achieve the balance between all of those things when you are leading a theater, when you are deciding shows that you're going to do, deciding casts and interacting with the people who are coming through your door for the first time, mm-hmm. or the people who are, you know, in the tech booth for th- a bunch of years, you know, everyone, the, the whole scale. Does that make sense? It's a it pretty totally big, does. Pretty cool. Yeah. Cool. I, you know, I have worked for 16 years as a marketing consultant and I work with 175 different brands. Oh, well. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so I get to come in and see a slice of different companies' cultures. Mm-hmm. And there's something about working with brand managers and agencies where there's types and those types recur consistently mm. from group to group. But how they interact as a team is very much influenced by the culture that they're they're from and the shades of their personalities yeah. come from the culture. And we've worked with companies that are like 100 years old, 50 years old, and the founder, not just the current CEO or, yeah. or you know, which would be the equivalent of a artistic director or managing director, because you know you also have a managing director that's setting culture. If yep. they're not this here, we're the, we're the same person. But um, uh, anyway, the founder I really believe tends to set the tone that will last forever. So, for example, we worked with Johnson and Johnson, and I thought, oh, Johnson Johnson, no more tears, right? It's yeah, it's going to be yeah, yeah, it's a family company. Yeah. It's going to be kind of warm or nurturing. But uh, they actually have a history as a war medic. So it's not like a nurturing mom company. It's like military doctor. Like we gotta take care of stuff. It's, yeah, so it's a little more clinical. Huh. And you can think about it in terms of like, no more tears. It's like, oh, no more tears. Or you can think about it like, no more tears. <laughs> and. Uh, you know, and then you think about their bottles and like it is kind of cool colors and they are very clinical and basic and yeah. you, you can see it. Anyway, so uh, so for me it's a very big question what you just asked yeah. and is a yeah. thing that I think about a lot. So, but what I also do for that company is help people find their, their driving internal conflict. And for Curious, I explain it as joy versus excellence. Okay. And I think that's our driving conflict. I think joy is why we're doing it. It's mm-hmm. the reward for doing it. It's the essence of everything about it. Uh, so you want it to be joyful. But if you're only doing it for the joy, it can be easy to get comfortable and never grow and never mm-hmm. get better. Yeah. Uh, whereas Excellence is about getting better and evolving and having that striving for being the best that you can be. But if you overemphasize that drive for excellence, <laughs> you can take away all your, the joy. You burn yourself out. Totally. Yeah. And think about, you know, I've been a part of so many different theaters and just the attitude around notes. Some people don't ever want notes. Some people get harsh notes. <laughs> in intermission. Yeah. You know, like yeah. culturally how you choose to handle notes how the organization handles notes is a, is a big reflection on where they fall on this joy versus excellent scale. Yeah. Um, so for me, that's how I think of it. And, it, and that extends beyond the shows and the performers, but for our staff. So I have mm-hmm. high expectations, but also we try to have a good time and keep it in perspective. And we're not, we're not a medical yeah. wartime <laughs> medic, you know, where... <laughs> 
uh, we're still a comedy theater, and if it's not fun, why do it? Yeah. So, and, and when I talk about that as a conflict, we're not looking for half fun, half excellent, and the compromise between the two. Okay, I see. Because that would suck. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, that would be like it would be bad. Exactly. Like, yeah. So we tend to swing toward super fun moments and then excellent, and and it's interesting because members of our community, there are people who are like if we just focus on the joy, we'll get to excellence. Mm-hmm. You know, by emphasizing the joy and removing all of our fears and empowering us to just have fun, the excellence will just channel through us and flow out onto the stage. Yeah. Then there are people who are like, if you just work really, really hard and get great, the reward is that fun moment when you did everything exactly yeah. the way you've always aspired. So there are people who are excellence to joy people or people who are joy to excellence people. But really, we live in a world where it's kind of a pendulum swing and you just correct. Like, you know what? No, the morale's down. Everyone's feeling pushed and challenged and not feeling so fun. Like, let's take time to remember the joy and build that back up. And then like, oh, okay, now everybody's getting a little bit sloppy. And now the audience (laughs) isn't in on the jokes. And the performers are having more fun with each other and forgetting. Yeah. So that's for me the the answer to that. And then in our training center, that manifests in um, uh, fun versus challenging. Okay, it's sort of the same. It's a subset idea. of it, yeah. and like we're just going to challenge you, but we also want you to have a good time. And then as we build a curriculum, we have to look at it like level one is all about the fun, yeah. right? And you yeah. start at the fun, and then you build. You get more and more challenging as you yeah. as you go down through the curriculum. Yeah, that's. Uh, you mentioned note giving, which I really, I actually, I haven't thought much about how the way you give notes reflects the culture of your theater. But you're right on the money with that. Yeah, that's like spot on. Have you found uh, the the in podcast air quotes best way to give notes, or is there a way that you? Like, give notes that is the most, I don't know, Yes, absolutely. I found the answer to notes. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, No, nobody likes getting notes, but then everybody says they want notes. Like, every class, every coach, you know, gets the criticism, like, I wanted more notes. And then when you actually give notes, like, there's a sting to it, and there's Mm -hmm. no way, there's no way there isn't. I had a conversation with someone who said, you know, when I get notes on improv, it feels like getting notes on sex like I just (laughs) had a really good time and had a wonderful (laughs) experience and then all of a sudden I'm getting notes but then then we that led to the conversation like I I would kind of want notes on sex too if my partner wasn't having as much fun as I was I would want to know that I would feel bad yeah but uh, that I had a great time and they did it But, like, when you're in a team, like, there's always, like, that show where, like, this person was on fire, this other person feels like they didn't contribute a lot, this other person feels like they've been in their head and stuck on their character play. Like, everyone's having their own experience in addition to the whole team's experience and then the audience's experience. So, you know, I think notes are important. I think where you are in the world, Portland is a more sensitive place. Yeah. You know, I'm I'm from the East Coast and from Chicago, where like notes are just notes. Like you just yeah, you're gonna get everyone them. goes through them. Everyone's thinking them. You're spitting them out. You kind of compare. Um, here, people are hungry for them and sensitive to them at the same yeah. time. So it's I mean it's a very young improv scene as well. I mean, yeah. 
we've been here, um, and I don't mean to imply there's two theaters that have been here a very long time, and I don't mean to dismiss that. But this this big scene where people are playing at multiple theaters, and you can have an improv party and have yeah. two hundred people show up, like that's a newer <laughs> phenomenon. That's yeah. only about four years old. Here. Yeah, so that's so young compared to so many places that are 30 to 50 years old. And the improv scene is blowing up in the city. Yeah, right it's now. insane. It's really, really insane. Yeah. Very, it's very exciting. It's, it's exciting and scary at the same time. Um, how, how so scary? It's, it's just like a new... When I... Hmm, that's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> it came from somewhere. Yeah, it did come from somewhere. I think, I think there's a certain, like... You establish a core community uh, in in an area, and when there is a, a mass of new people entering into that community, it can change the very fabric of that community. And so it, it enters into this volatile state where the other end of that is sort of unclear. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah, it, it's exciting, and it, I I think scary scary was the wrong word, but um, like exciting and thrilling. Is, yeah. a, is, a, is another way to say that. I usually think of thrilling paired with terrifying. And yeah. I'm just trying to think. I mean, for me, it's hard, right? Because I think we have more theaters per capita than anywhere I've ever seen in the world. Absolutely. That's, uh, you do. You, so like, trying to run a space when there's, like, so many options means that we have to make this place people want to be. But I also think what happens is you do, each place does end up with its core community and every place is different. And Mm -hmm. so you actually get a nice self-selection where people go where they're going to be the most satisfied and their needs are being met. And you actually end up with fewer people sticking around because you're the only choice who are disgruntled that you're not running it the way that they would run it. Here now, people can be like, I want more dramatic improv. Yeah. I want more clubhouse feel. I want, you know, yeah. intramural stuff. I want clean comedy. Like, there's a choice for everyone yeah, that's on a finer level. Hmm. So the people who stay are more like-minded in their artistic vision and their work style. Yeah. So that's, that's an overall positive. Yeah. 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 Um, have you seen a, Have you seen Curious grow and change from when it started to today? And then I'll extend that to like where do you see Curious going in the future? That's a huge question. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I tend to ask those. Yeah. <laughs> uh, gosh, I don't know where to start. Uh, it's not that I don't have an answer. It's like I could answer. Yeah, it's. In a mil- I mean, yeah. Portland has changed. The whole improv community has changed, and Curious has changed. So all of those, I mean, Portland's growing like crazy. So that's helpful for us um, to have bigger audiences, to have more students. Um, It's just a much bigger city. When I, I kind of had this love-hate relationship always. Never hated it, but like when I was living in Chicago and I'd come back to Portland, and I would walk around at 9.30 and it was dead. And I lived in Wrigleyville in Chicago and there's 12 o'clock rush when those bars close and then 2, 2 a.m. and then 4 a.m., <laughs> right? It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. It's always busy. It's always alive until maybe 5. 
in the morning. Here, it was shutting down at 9.30. And I was like, oh, this is why I live in Chicago. <laughs> but now that I'm here, it's like, it's getting more nightlife, yeah. more yeah. active, more people um, who want to be out experiencing the world and more foot traffic. So that's exciting for me as a, as a person who runs a theater. Um, the scene growing has been great because the talent pool was so small and we were pretty much only putting on our stage performers that we taught, mm -hmm. which meant they were only as old as improvisers as the theater was. Yeah. Um, and so that is is changing. And then the past couple of years, we've had an influx of people from other cities who have more experience. And that's been great, too, because it's very hard to teach people how to do improv when they can't see it. Oh, I see. If you're in Chicago, you're going to see the new teams, you're going to see the teams that have been around five to ten years, and then you're going to see people who've been doing improv for 20 to 30 years. Yeah. And so you have a model of what you're aspiring toward and enough of it for you to, again, pick what's speaking to you the most. Yeah. So you might love TJ and Dave or Dazariski, or you might love... Um, something more absurdist that might be uh, at annoyance yeah. or so you have or you might want Second City or you might so or comedy sports you might want to do short form that's done really really well yeah. um, so here it's like people sign up for classes who have never seen an improv show in their life <laughs> and try and teach them to do a thing and I can't do it by my I can do a solo improv show yeah. but it's not going to show them what they're trying to learn how yeah. to do and so we've had to build a company um, and and so we did that and had great first upper echelons uh, Kate Michaels and Nathan Loveless and Leon Anderson Katie Barron's has been here from the beginning uh, and so that was like our first golden age when we had this cast that was really fantastic and loved each other and we were playing together, Brie Pruitt, we were playing together all the time. We'd do a sketch show together, we'd do Neutrino together, we'd do a musical yeah. together, we'd do ev everything together. And you're getting into each other's heads. And totally. It's just like and out. it's family and that's amazing. But then they're, then people get burned out because they're not getting paid enough, if at all to not work another job so people are working their jobs and they're here all the time and they're getting older and they're in relationships and they might get married and they might have a kid or yeah. um, and then the scene is also growing and so now you need to start making space for the new people and I've seen a lot of theaters and I have a lot of relationships with theaters and and, and a theater getting clogged at the at the top uh, is a common yeah. phenomenon oh, yeah. so we had to build in ways that that everybody was working to stay a part of the community, not just once you're in, you're in forever, and you can not no. care anymore, but your spot's your spot. So the way that um, we evolved eventually was that the we had the main stage ensemble, and then we started a second ensemble. That was kind of the farm team version. Um, but then they always felt like second-class citizens and there wasn't necessarily room in that main stage ensemble and how long is it going to be before they get yeah. to move up and um, there's a beauty in that system where when they did move up they came into that fold and they were shown the ropes and they were carried yeah. and a lot of benefits to, to that system I'm not 
um, trashing it. But for us, it became hard to manage. And so we broke eventually into a bunch of teams. Hmm. And so now we have main stage teams and then we have other house teams that are in, more like a in, incubation house teams. Um, and that way you still get that smaller cohesive group and, mm-hmm. and it's like a social group and it's also feels like family um, but people are still rehearsing because a lot of theaters get their ensemble gets so big they just stop rehearsing or they have a rehearsal with 40 people yeah. you can't get anything done in a 40 that's crazy. person <laughs> like everyone's on the same page because they've at least watched or been in the room and, and that's important um, but you lose out on that sense of like we play together all the time we have this magic we know each other we can read each other's mind yeah, exactly. so we started these teams they're all long form teams and then when we schedule our short form shows it's the same night as your long form show so that's also bundling time for people so they don't burn out yeah. as much and then um, and then the short form show will be packed Mostly with people who are also on the same team, so you have a core of people who play together all the time. So we went from like that early like family group to a bigger company with it's called cells, right? It's yeah. like, but everyone associates that with tourist or with a terrorist organization. Oh. <laughs> but that's the evolution of an organization, yeah. right? Like any organization, yeah. so you start with your your core, and then eventually you have to sustain multiple groups. So that's how we have, in terms of managing people, evolved. And we're still figuring, that's a year and a half old, still figuring it out. We just made our first new main stage team since the initiation of the house team system. So are there there two main stage teams? There were two, and there's a a third getting formed as we speak. I haven't even called everybody yet. Ooh. Yeah, so that's That's exciting. exciting. Yeah, Yeah, and just trying to figure it all out and make it artistically satisfying to people. To be a part of it and uh, trying to figure that out. So that's a big way. And then also our space just evolved tremendously. Huge. (laughs) Yeah. So we used to just have a little stage in the corner and it was a big room and the bar was right in the room. Yeah. And it felt more like a cafeteria with a stage in the corner. I mean, didn't everything was warmer and nice, but in terms of the actual physical, a a square with a kitchen and a stage and (laughs) tables and chairs. And that was the best that we could do with the money we had and when it was so we great. built it out. Yeah, the I think first it was, credits, yeah. yeah, I think for what we had, it came out way better than I expected it to. <laughs> it was still a lovely space. But there were sound issues of the bar competing with the mm-hmm. stage and then distraction of that light and activity there. And um, stage, even though it was like 18 feet wide, still felt small a lot of the time. Uh, we had eight dim lights that somebody had donated, a friend of ours, <laughs> who had recovered them from a dumpster behind University of Washington oh, when yeah. they upgraded all their equipment. Yeah. And uh, it was just a simple, simple setup. And then last year, we raised $50,000 to remodel, and we got that $175,000 grant. And mm-hmm. now the space totally redesigned with... I had gone on tour for five months, and done comedy in a ton of different venues and so we modeled it on my uh, you know, favorite experiences for comedy specifically mm-hmm. and also to make it more conducive to install all of the cameras now we have four permanently installed cameras we have a professional switcher we can operate it all by one person the cameras are robotically 
operated. We can live stream, and then we have these gorgeous lights and incredible sound. Yeah, and that's it's, a it's beautiful. Unlike any other it theater. is beautiful right now. So, yeah. Thanks. Yeah, feels pretty great. Yeah. Uh, so we're a little bit past the half hour right now. Okay. I always like asking: uh, Is there anything we haven't talked about uh, in terms of improv or uh, running a theater or just theatrics in general that you want <laughs> to talk about? Uh, I mean, I have a lot of things I think about all of yeah. the time. I could talk just, for two more days, but yeah. yeah, no, I think uh, you'd ask me where we're going, where we want to go, and I think for me, I, I think uh, the next phase is how we can use the equipment we have to take what we've been doing. Like after five years of running the theater, I was like, wow, like. You just do shows every night and do all this work and then they're just gone. Yeah. And someone comes in and they have no sense of the history. Mm. And so for me, being able to capture what we do, to be able to share it with beyond people who are in the room. And I don't know that anyone has, other than Whose Line, there has not been a great way to capture improv yeah it, it just feels weird when you watch it on there's there's some sort of disconnect I know like exactly happens. what I feel like yeah. I know exactly what it is and mm, I feel oh. like our our system is overcoming that yeah wait what, what is it though I've, I've, it's a super technical answer but the way that live switching happens whether you're live to tape to air later okay. or whether you're live streaming the the way you do the news or the way you do a sport is you have a director and mm -hmm. you have um, people operating the cameras and you have the person switching from camera to camera. Yeah. So you have this director who's saying like, okay, camera one, zoom in, uh, switcher, take, you know, so then they talk to the switcher and they take camera two, then you cut to that camera and mm -hmm. camera one, get a wide shot and then, okay, take camera one. It's such a slow system that you end up behind when you're in, when you're shooting improv because you don't know what they're going to do. But you don't know what they're going to do, yeah. and by the time you see what they're going to do, by the time you make your decision, articulate your decision, then the people hear it, and then the people act on it. You've totally missed okay. the moment. So to me, what we've been able to do is the director actually sits with the headphones on and is operating the cameras and the switcher, one person shop, and you are. Nice. And we hire improvisers. Yeah, that's a huge. So you have thing to know comedy. Yeah, oh, yeah, I've had people edit stand up who are perfectly proficient technical <laughs> editors, and it comes back, and I'm just like, how did you manage to kill every joke? Because they're just switching for what they think. Like music, you just follow, I mean, even a great editor will follow the rhythm of yeah. music and know when yeah. to cut in and out based yeah. on the content, but. Uh, comedy is really hard and you have yeah. to know it so we have a crew that's all comedy fluent mm -hmm. and the expediency of being able to operate that system in the moment and you're just it feels exactly like being in a show except I'm all by myself and so when I do a good shoot and the show ends I'm like I feel all pumped like, yeah. Yeah, like yeah and then I'm like I'm all by myself I'm <laughs> Because you have to in, not just keep up, you have to anticipate. Yeah. And you follow conversations, follow movement. Yeah. It can be really hard, uh, but that's what it, that's what I think is missing is that traditionally Hollywood's like, here's a crew yeah. that's used to scripted stuff. 
and they're used to blocking and, and they're used to thinking when, it out and yeah. planning it out and then following when it actually happens yeah. and here's improvisers now go like we need you need an improviser you need improvisers yeah. on the equipment yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then that by doing that and then uploading it and having people who weren't in the space see the shows, you're not only like providing a way for the community to see your space, but you're also inviting people who otherwise wouldn't have experienced improv into this world for a little bit. Exactly. And it's different when it's live stream too. So yeah. our performers, West Coast is a bad place to be for live streaming because everyone's so much later. So 8 o'clock oh. show here is 11 in New York, whereas mm. it's the reverse mm. for SNL. But uh, people's parents will stay up to watch their show. That's adorable. (laughs) It's so cute. And it's very telling because they could watch it the next day. Yeah. But they don't. Yeah, that is very telling. Wow. Mm. Because they want to be in that moment. And it adds something really special to improv, to live stream, because you're in the moment where anything can happen. And you don't know that everything came out okay. Yeah. When it's kind of done and uploaded, you you know everything's going to have worked out okay. That's great. But yeah, it, there's some like it, there's the a moment. thrill. It's thrilling. Totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think that that those are all things that that we have in this unique situation that's going to make. And if you've watched any of them, it's really easy to watch those shows. Yeah, no, I, I watched a couple of them and it's just like it, it is with the new stage and the new lighting and the new cameras, it definitely it's it's a much more inviting viewing experience because I've watched a lot of filmed improv and I've most of it yeah most of it there's just some sort of stale not you have to be switching between cameras yeah, that's, for one thing that's massive yeah you can't most, yeah. nobody stands in the back of a room with their head <laughs> locked and their eyes just forward right because that's what you're watching when you're watching a camera in the back of a room yeah. it's just like I am taking in this whole thing yeah. you know? like, like we look in we, we, yeah. we I look at your face and I look at the other there's focus yeah Right? That's what improv is about, giving yeah. and taking focus and how are you playing with that focus. And that's what translates to the cameras following that focus for you. Perfect. Well, Stacy, thank you so much for sitting down with Thanks. me. Thanks. These, these always go by so fast. Yay. <laughs> well, thank you so um, much. If someone's looking for Curious online, uh, do you have any plugs for yeah, the listener? Yeah, totally. CuriousComedy.org is our website. Um, and then they can also go to our Facebook for our live streams or we're switching mainly over to YouTube. Yeah. Um, so the Curious Comedy channel on YouTube. And that's it's still just getting evolved. We're figuring out how to manage all this content. But uh, they should subscribe and, and watch as the Curious Comedy channel grows. Very, very cool. Yay. Uh, and then I like ending my podcast with this. Uh, can you give me one recommendation of absolutely anything at all? be a book, a movie, a quote, way of life, thing to eat, maybe, just anything. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah, maybe the hardest question of the That podcast. is, that's, a, that's <laughs> like a punch in the face. Before I end, let me just punch you in the face. Yeah. Um, I think, I think it would be to just be kind. Great. That's, yeah. that's great. And be kind. That's, yeah, that's really, really It nice. comes back to you in the end. And not being kind. Well, it may take 20 years. It'll come back to you. Yeah, yeah. It may seem good in the short run, you know, short short term. But I think being kind pays off in the moment and yeah. down the road. And, um, yeah, yeah, can't go wrong with that. You are, you are a reflection of your own actions. Also. Yeah. Um, well, Stacey, again, thank you so much for Thank you. 
Uh, you can find this podcast on Facebook and SoundCloud and iTunes. And listener, thank you so much for listening, and I hope you have an excellent rest of your day. And that's how.